glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Luke chapter 12, we've addressed this text in times past. It's a very well-known text of Scripture because of the content that's here. Um, but before we read, let me ask you this. If you found that something, and I may have mentioned this recently, and some of you know this so well, so the question's a bit redundant, but for some it may not be. Uh, if you've studied the New Testament, especially the Gospels, as the Lord Jesus walked this earth and he established some things while on this earth, he didn't tell his disciples everything he wanted them to know. He told them after he left that the Spirit of God would reveal more to them, and he did, and that's why we have the rest of the New Testament. Um, but if you were to study his earthly ministry, and the warnings that he issued his disciples, coupled with his strongest preaching, a subject matter comes to light. What would you say if you studied, you find the Lord Jesus warning his disciples about loud and clear time and again? It is dangerous to the effectiveness of us as his disciples. What would that be? It's hypocrisy. It's on your lesson title. If you find what Jesus preached the hardest against, You'll find nothing in Scripture that he dealt more fiercely with than what? Hypocrisy. Uh, it is what he, it's, it's what he dealt with in the Pharisees so fervently. Uh, he said, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. I found it interesting. I have no record of Jesus ever calling one of his own disciples a hypocrite. But I do find him warning them about the influence of hypocrites. A man religion, man-made religion, false religion is hypocrisy on its face. It is nothing more than man trying to cover what he really is by religious mechanism. I go through religious mechanics or outward rules, exterior rituals in order to appear righteous when I'm actually still very wicked. This is why, whether it's in Catholicism or if it's in Baptist churches, you get these shocking events where those people seem to be so good and then to find out they were doing that? Are you serious? And there's not a church, there's not a family, and not an individual exempt from the influence of hypocrisy. Not one. The person who feels they are exempt are in it to their neck already. <laughs> That's just the nature of it. And so having said that, uh, I, nothing, I believe, is more detrimental to the name of our Lord and Savior today than hypocrisy. And so... Um, we'll get into the definition. It's one of the points of the lesson, so I don't want to define it first. We'll take it in the order that the Lord Jesus gives it to us. So Luke chapter 12, verse 1. In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trode one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which ye have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell... Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. Ye are of more value than many sparrows. Also, I say unto you, 
Whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. And when they bring you unto the synagogues and unto magistrates and powers, take you no thought how or what thing you shall answer, what you shall say. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what ye ought to say. Now, our Lord has given us a mouthful here. He's going to deal with other issues in this chapter. Uh, he is going to uh, speak specifically to his disciples in verse 13. He's going to deal with covetousness uh, in, in verses 22 on down. He's going to deal with um, concerns or cares of this life. Uh, it's almost as though he's going to lay this out first of all. Let me give you the priority here. And then he's going to unfold some of those things. We're just going to focus on these first 12 verses and some other texts of Scripture this morning. I believe this, um, and, and I don't want to get off course here, but there is a tremendous pressure on the child of God. There always has been, always will be, to capitulate with the world in order to make them happy with us. By the world, I mean the masses of people who are under Satan's rule and who do not know God and live according to their lusts and pride. Once we're saved, we were saved out of that. That's, that's the natural way anybody lives, according to our lust and pride. And we are called to come out from among them and be separate. I've never seen a time in my life, in my life, so I'm just going to work inside the, the framework of my own experience here, never seen a time in my life where the instruction and the doctrine, which it is a Bible doctrine of separation, has been under so much assault from within the so-called ranks of God's family. I've never seen it be attacked so fervently from two flanks. Separation is being attacked by Satan from two flanks. Number one, from hypocrisy, those who have a pretentious form of separation, meaning it is an outward form only. We have all these outward rules that makes us separate. No, that's not right. But then there's a reaction to that. And over here says separation is legalism. And so we want to blend with the world and mix with the world. Both of these are rooted in the same thing, hypocrisy. Both, right hand and left, both ditches are rooted in the same thing. And I believe we'll see that this morning. But I've never seen, see, we're in, in this morning's message, Sunday morning in the message here in a little bit, we're going to look at the fact that we're the light of the world. Light of the world has to be light. It has to be holy, righteous, separated. Uh, and we'll get into that this morning. But if, that, if, if Satan can get us to get our light under a bushel or under a bed or in some secret place, he will. Because our... Our being what God calls us to be is what reveals there's a living God in heaven and that the gospel is true. And so then, uh, let's, just, we'll just get into the, let's just get into the meat of this this morning. If you're taking notes, by the way, I just gave you the notepad. Instead of doing a lesson form and PowerPoint this morning, I thought, well, you can, you can follow along. Those of you who want to take notes, I thought you might not have uh, brought a paper. If you don't need the paper, that is just fine. But I want to give that out in case you want to use it and take notes this morning. So we'll begin this morning with the Lord's declaration concerning hypocrisy. Verse 1, he, he opens with making a statement to his disciples about hypocrisy that we've touched on already. Uh, and he says in verse 1, In the meantime, when they were gathered together in innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another. I think you can't gloss past that. I don't have a point for this. But Jesus found it necessary when the crowds began to come to say, Now let me talk to you real quickly, disciples, about hypocrisy. That's key. When Jesus felt the needs, saw the needs, knew it was time, was when the crowd started coming around the disciples 
The Lord knows, and we'll get to a minute, the source of hypocrisy, which we need to get to in our own lives. But when you see all these people coming, surrounding and crowding, the Lord Jesus says, let me warn you about something. And so he makes a declaration concerning uh, uh, hypocrisy. He says, in the meantime, when they were gathered together, an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his who? Disciples, first of all. And that tells us the purpose of his declaration. This is teaching about hypocrisy is not geared toward the lost person. That's why it's in Sunday school this morning. It is geared toward the disciple, the person who's already saved. The, the heart of this message and the purpose of what he's going to say is instructing his disciples about how to be disciples. Okay, And so he's instructing them, as my disciples, here's something I'm going to tell you and you need to listen closely to. So in saying that he's speaking to his disciples, this tells us the purpose of what he's going to say. This is not a text. There are truths in this text that can be used in witnessing to lost people. This is not an evangelistic text. This is an exhortation text. Do we understand that? The Great Commission is in really three parts. We're giving the gospel to the unsaved. That's evangelism. We're baptizing them. That's establishing them. And then we are teaching them to observe all his commandments. That is exhorting and edifying them. Okay, And so that's the part of this we're into. Christ is edifying and exhorting those who are already have faith in him, his disciples. So this is instruction about how to be a good disciple. You say, why do you bring that up? Because as I said before, there's not a person in this room that is exempt from the influence of hypocrisy. Everyone, from the person teaching you the lesson to the youngest Christian in this room, we all must listen to what he's going to have to say. This is for disciples, okay? So the purpose. Number two, we, deal, he, we understand the priority of his declaration. Before he starts teaching on all these other things, before he addresses the unsaved in the crowd, uh, before he addresses any other subject in this context, it says he began to say to his disciples, and what are the next three words? First of all. Meaning this is a very important issue he's going to deal with. When the words first of all are there, meaning what he's going to say takes priority over what the next thing he's going to say. And I'm not telling you hypocrisy is more important than any other doctrine or any other teaching in the Bible. But he says, before I can say other things to you, I must say this to you first. Before I speak and preach the gospel to the unsaved disciples, as this crowd comes around, first of all, let me speak to you about this. Let me say this. If you study the Pharisees, the Pharisees were enamored with the crowds. Don't miss me this morning. What is the number one measure of a successful church today? In, in Christendom. I didn't talk about the world. I'm talking about with us. Not, not me, not you, hopefully. Attendance. The number one way you know if a church is successful is by how many people you have coming. Now, I believe a church ought to be living and thriving and growing. If it's dead, that's bad. That's not, that's not good. But once you make the crowd your goal, so most pastoral instruction today about how to build a church is going to be your ultimate goal is to win as many people as you can. Where is that? Oh, pastor, it's in the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. You can do that whether people come or not. The world is still there and every creature is still out there. And what has happened is Satan, I, I believe, has slipped us a bill of goods that the ultimate goal is to get a large crowd. You realize every time churches began to grow mega church size in the New Testament, Christ busted them up and dispersed them. Check your Bible. I'm not preaching against a church being beyond a certain size and number. Okay, That's not my point. The point is our ultimate goal is not to build a church as big as we can. Now, I'm, I, I with you, I want to see as many people saved as we possibly can. That's why Satan's so easy to trick us on this. 
But drawing, a, my dad told me years ago, I said, Nevin, before you go plant a church, you understand this. There is a vast difference between a crowd and a church. A crowd is a group of people gathered in the same place at the same time. A church is a living organism that is built upon Jesus Christ, that is united by his indwelling Holy Spirit. They are not the same thing. And the moment we make the multitude our goal, uh, Jesus understood it. He said, you be careful. You know why politics are so corrupt? Because every politician says we want as many people following our ideology as possible, so you have to capitulate with people to get them to like you and vote for you. You with me? Church is not politics. And when politics creep in, it becomes this. And our Lord knew this. He knows this about us. He knows us. Amen? Uh, he knows our tendency. Man, some or would be excited this morning if every pew was filled. Well, of course. Is that wrong? Not on its face. It's not. But there is a tendency to want as many people as possible to be pleased with me. And the Lord Jesus, as the crowd began to come around, he says, first of all, here comes the crowd, disciples. First of all, he was so popular. And by the way, he was at this moment. I believe churches go through seasons where they're the most popular church in town. They also go through seasons where they're the least popular church in town, if they're a true church. You're going to have seasons where you're the new kid on the block and everyone wants to come check you out and the walls seem to be busting out. And then the moment you say, how can we retain all these people? Our goal is to retain everybody. All of a sudden, the Lord says, wait, 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 wait. Beware. Wait, beware. Okay, so I'll move along. The purpose, it's to his disciples, the priority, first of all. But then he makes a parallel. What does Jesus choose to liken hypocrisy to? He uses a physical substance to analogize hypocrisy. What does he use? He uses honey. It'll really stick to you. No. It'll, you, you butter. You have to really spread it on. No, he uses leaven, which we understand to us today we call that yeast. It's the same thing. Leaven. Ladies, help me. Once you take yeast and put it in your hot water and stir it up, does it dissolve? For the most part. Once you mix it in your bread dough, how do you know that it's even in there? There it is, because it grows. Because it grows. Leaven, because it is an active agent, it is not passive, it's active. Okay? It's an active agent, it's going to affect and influence everything it touches, as far as in a, in a loaf of bread. Jesus didn't use leaven because leaven or yeast is inherently evil. Some of his sacrifices, he said, put it in. Well, I think of one. Put it in one sacrifice. He likens the kingdom of God to leaven. So it's not, leaven is not inherently evil, but he chose that substance because of what it does. This is what hypocrisy does. It creeps in subtly. It gets mixed in, and then it affects everything. And may I ask you something? Is all it does is leaven. All it does is it just grows things. It makes them expand, right? That's all? No. If you leave a loaf of bread that's leavened, what do we call it when you put leavened bread in your refrigerator and let it sit and sit and sit? Especially if you put a little milk in there with it. Leaven is a fermenting substance. Is it not? So leaven not only, here's what leaven does. It takes a substance of bread that you can hold in both palms of your hands. And it, with just putting just a little bit of something, I mean, you put this much in it. and it, So you put that amount in and it makes it grow that much. Meaning it inflates things beyond their reality. The loaf of bread in its substance is only as big as you can hold in both of your hands. Put a little leaven in there and it makes it look like it's that big because it puts air in there and it inflates. Knowledge does what, according to 1 Corinthians 8, puffeth up. That's exactly what it's talking about. You get a little leaven in your life. What happens is 
you appear to be something in public that you're not in private. You appear to be spiritual when you're really carnal. You appear to love God when you really love money. You appear to love the Lord when you really love pleasure. But you've learned how to get the externals of Christianity right so that according to what man sees, you are perceived to be something that's wonderful when really your prayer life is nil. Your walk with God is nothing. Your victory is nil. But to everyone else, it looks like you're doing great. Is that not what leaven does? It projects something to be larger or greater than it really is. If it's left there, then it not only projects it to be larger, it corrupts what it touches. It ferments. Fermentation is a corrupting process. I mean, it is. And so Jesus knew what he was talking about. And he said a little little leaven. He said this concerning false doctrine. He said it concerning sinful living inside the church. And he says it concerning hypocrisy, which is both. If you pretend to believe the truth when you really believe a false doctrine and you hold that, it's going to leaven you. He said a little leaven leaveneth a whole lump. A little hypocrisy in a home, a little hypocrisy in the church, a little hypocrisy in my life and yours, it leavens a whole lump. The number one stymieing effect for the power of the gospel today is hypocrisy. I, I, I know of none other. Uh, look, the world may hate you if you're the real deal. But better to be hated by the world than liked by the world because you know how to be like them when you're around them. Amen? I don't think what I said was very popular just now. <laughs> better to be hated by the world because you're like Christ than to be liked by the world because you're like them. Friend, that's Bible. Jesus said if we're going to come after him, they hated him, they'll hate us. It's in every one of us, in every one of us, to want people to like us. It's in every human. And so we have to beware. The parallel he used is a little leaven, leaveneth the whole lump. Number two, that's his declaration. Number two, verses two and three, he gives some definition. So if he's going to say beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, it'd be really good if he showed us what does that look like in a very practical way. So he does. Verse 2, For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid, that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which ye have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. You know where we get the idea of, do you have a skeleton in your closet? From this right here. You got something in your secret life. You know what Jesus is saying? Hypocrisy is this, having a life in the dark that is different than what you are in the light. You say things when people aren't listening that you would never say if they were. You use language, you say things and talk about things and do things that if it were to be uncovered, you would never dream of doing it in front of people. But you'll do it alone. So if your private life is corrupt and your public life is pure, you're a hypocrite. If you're willing to say these things when the door is shut and you think nobody's listening. So what he's dealing with here, the fallacy of hypocrisy is we're, we're, we're two different people. James calls it double-minded. Meaning I have one mindset when I'm alone and I have another mindset when people are watching. You with me? Too many times, church has become nothing more than a show for people to watch. Let me say this. The Bible definition of church is not a show. 
I'm going to say something. I'm going to do a few things here just real quickly. When we work and serve in music, we are not performing. I've, I work away from that word. We are not performing. We are serving. We are ministering. The preacher is not a performer. He's a preacher. I rehearse what I'm going to say, not like rehearse my messages. I run them through my mind to make sure that what I'm saying lines up with God's word. But I don't rehearse like I'm going to give a speech. That's ridiculous. <laughs> it's not a performance. It's a message. Our music is not a performance. We're not doing this for men, for the ears of men to like us and admire us. We're ministering the word of God to people in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. When we're out knocking doors trying to win people to the Lord, we're not going through the motions of a, you know, it's not like going out to make sales calls because it's what we're supposed to do. We are actually taking the gospel to people. There's a job we're doing. That's why I, I, I shy away sometimes from let's get a cookie-cutter form we follow, then we can, just te- we can teach a lost man to do it. My goodness, if a dog could talk, you could teach him to do it. That's not soul winning. We're not performing. We are serving. Hypocrisy makes us performers, meaning we know how to act like Christians. With me? We're not trying to act like Jesus. We're obeying him. We're following him. We are conforming him, but we're not about play acting. And if we are, this is what our Lord's warning us against. The fallacy of hypocrisy is I'm two different people. I'm one person in the dark. And what Jesus is dealing with here, right now we're dealing with the fallacy. So if you're taking notes, we gave the declaration. He deals with the purpose of his declaration. We dealt with the priority of his declaration, the parallel in that declaration. Now we're dealing with the definition. The fallacy of hypocrisy is it is being duplicitous. Okay, it, Really what it means is to be duplicitous. Let me read you the definition from Webster's 1828 dictionary as to what hypocrisy is. Simulation. All right. So the first word is simulation or to feign, uh, to separate, to discern or judge. But simulation, a feigning to be what one is not. Or dissimulation, a concealment of one's real character or motives. More generally, hypocrisy is simulation or the assuming of a false appearance of virtue or religion, a deceitful show of a good character in morals or religion, a counterfeiting of religion. When we read about love in the Bible, when we dealt with this recently, one of the things we're warned against over and over regarding love is your love must be unfeigned. It must be unfeigned. Let love be without dissimulation, meaning without hypocrisy. You hear the word simulation in that? Dissimulation, meaning you are simulating love, but you really don't have it. Why would we, by the way? Think of one reason we might simulate the Christian life when we're not actually really engaged in it. Let me ask you something. Which is easier, dressing up? When I was a kid, I dressed up like everything. I dressed up like a cowboy. I dressed up like a soldier. Uh, I dressed up like police officer. I mean, I dressed up like colonial soldiers. I, I dressed up like everything. I was simulating. But you know what? You know how hard it was for me to do that? I never went through boot camp. I never had to pass rigorous intellectual exams. I never had to go to a shooting range. But I looked so convincing in some of my uniforms, by the time I'm in my preteen, sometimes people wondered, are you the real lady? I went and bought real military fatigues. I mean, I knew how to play the part. And I enjoyed that. There was nothing wrong with that as a kid playing these parts. Today, which is easier? Going out and buying a uniform, a fake badge, a forty caliber pistol down at, the, at the, the, uh, the gun shop, and making people think you're a police officer or actually becoming one? Which is easier, pretending you're a Christian or being one? Now, you and I both know the answer. Anybody can pretend to be. Anybody can get on their knee. Anybody can say words in prayer that they've heard other Christians say. 
Anybody can repeat Bible verses. Anybody can come to church three times a week, even lost people. Anybody can act like they're a Christian. But you have to have Christ in your heart and submission in your heart to be one. And play acting is so much easier than the real deal. And so often we are content with play acting. And here's the, here's the scary thing. Let's say I went out here today and I went and bought me one of those fake badges that look real. I already own a handgun. And I start pretending I'm an undercover police officer. I do that long enough, I might say, I am good enough at this. I wonder if I really am. And I might deceive myself. And then I'm going to go out and I'm going to arrest somebody someday. And they're going to say, you're going to prison for impersonating an officer because you're pretending to be something you're not. Amen? You with, you with me? And so then the, this matter of hypocrisy, it's a fallacy. It is putting on to be something I'm not. It's concealing what I truly am to convince people that I am not what I really am. Now, here's the faces of hypocrisy. All we're thinking about right now is, ooh, you got a secret sin life, and in, in front of everybody you're acting like you're this great Christian. That is. That is hypocrisy. Is that exactly what he's dealing with in Luke 12? What, listen closely to Luke 12, what he says. <clears throat> Verse 3. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light. And that which ye have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. Now go to Matthew chapter 10. So the first face of hypocrisy is me concealing my involvement with sin. That's the first face. I am actually living in sin in private and acting like I'm godly and holy in public. That's face number one of hypocrisy. But here's the second face, and this is the one I think we probably often miss. Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10, verses 26 and 27. Matthew 10 is the parallel passage to Luke 12. This is why it's important to study our Bibles, though. They don't say exactly the same thing, and it's not an error. It's on purpose. <laughs> All right, Matthew chapter 10, verse 26. Fear, not, fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. Now, notice what he says, what I tell you. Now, Luke 12 is what you say in the darkness is going to be heard in the light. And what you say in closets is going to be shouted from the housetop. But in verse 27, he says, what I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light. And what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. You see the difference? One is, you're something different. You're corrupt in your private life, but you want to look like you're holy in your public life. But over here is, he says, when you're in the closet in prayer, I'm going to tell you some things and you're going to be afraid to say it in front of people. You're going to be afraid to say the truth in front of men. But if I tell you in the closet, in the dark, you preach it in the light. And if I tell you in the closet, you preach it on the housetop. How many things do we know exactly what God means when he says something in the Bible? We won't tell anybody. Privately, we believe it. But publicly, we won't claim it. You know how many people will refuse to join a local church because they say, if I join that church, the people, my friends, will think I am this, this, or this. I will be identifying with a King James-only church. I can't do that. Why? Because it's not right? Because God has not preserved his word in our tongue today because this Bible is full of errors? Or because I'm afraid to identify with a crowd where I might be maligned and called ugly names? Now I'm preaching. <laughs> eh? We know personally, privately, believe in my heart, the only way to salvation is by grace through faith and God saves eternally. That is clear in the Bible. We might not want to say that. We know that the Christian is to live a separated and holy life. But we might not want to say that. If you're spending time in your Bible and spending time in the prayer closet, the Holy Spirit is telling you things in your ear. 
May I say this? It is just as hypocritical to know the truth and in private be a devoted Christian, but in public be a capitulator (laughs) as it is to have private sin and hide it in public. Jesus says both are faces of hypocrisy. One is concealing what I am. The other is concealing who he is. Does it make sense this morning? They're both faces of hypocrisy. And this is it. Are there sins only of commission? If I said name some sins this morning, the first ones that come to our mind are the, the really corrupting sins like drunkenness and adultery and fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, and they are, they're vile. But it's just as sinful to know something that's right and not to do it. James 4, 17, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Now, I'm going to tell you something. We are having men today in pulpits preaching suppression of the word of God. We don't deal with that aspect of the Bible because, you know, look, I understand people of different development of growth can handle different aspects of Scripture. I get that. But how many of you know, I remember years ago asking my dad, and I've shared this with you, and I've seen this pattern follow. I would hear a lot of preachers really get after Billy Graham, and I would, I would read his articles in the paper, and I couldn't read anything that was not in line with the Bible. By the way, you say, do you think people got saved under his preaching? I do, because he preached the truth from the Bible. He preached the gospel. But I think the net result of his ministry was a lot of compromise over the gospel and opening the door to ecumenicism, which has now opened the door to pluralism. And you can study all that at a different time, but it was a, it was a deadly effect, and here's what happened. I said, when my dad one day, he was very sincere, I said, I know, I hear that Billy Graham, there's some problems there. I said, I read his article in the paper. I've never read anything that I can find as... Not true from the Bible. He said, it's not what Billy Graham preaches that's so deadly. It's what he will not preach. And I followed that. And you'd see, and there, there today, I can tell you, as a preacher, there are temptations. You come to a text of Scripture, and you know exactly what God means and what he says. And you think, oh, if I preach that, we'll probably lose that family, and that family, and that family, and that person. I've watched it. I remember the first time I, I preached against alcohol. Within six weeks, we lost how many people? A dozen? And we only had 25 coming. And all I did was open Proverbs 20, verse 1, and 23, 31, and preach my heart out. <laughs> and I knew when I preached it, but we'll lose some people over this. And so you know what my temptation was? Alcohol isn't the gospel. I mean, is it? Do you get saved by stopping drinking? But you know those folks are trying to bring to the church? Alcohol. And I'm just saying, and I'm not telling you, I've always been faithful. I, I, I desire to be. So as Christians, it's no different. It's no different for you than it is for me. I mean, i got to preach. i got a public ministry. Maybe that, that may be more challenging. But you have people you're around that don't believe what the Bible says. They don't believe in Jesus Christ. Even those who say they do. And you got to decide, am I going to take sides with him? Am I willing to say what he said? Or am I going to accept his word in the closet and suppress it in public? That's hypocrisy. That's the face of it, okay? So we see the faces of hypocrisy. The first face is I conceal my involvement with sin. The second face of hypocrisy is I conceal my involvement with the Savior. Generally, when we have hypocrisy, we do both. I remember a season in my life where I was guilty of both of these. I, around certain people, did not tell what I really believed because they would mock me, and I wanted to fit in with them. And then there were also things in my life that I wouldn't have told anybody I said or did. I kept that suppressed because that would have shamed me. And so we've seen the declaration 
uh, about hypocrisy, the definition of hypocrisy, it's fallacy, it's simulation instead of reality. The faces of hypocrisy is I conceal my involvement with sin in public, I conceal my involvement with the Savior in public. Can you think of any one of the disciples that was guilty of, the, of both of these, but especially of the second one, when in public he truly believed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, but he wouldn't say so? It's Peter. Peter, he didn't, like us, he didn't take heed to this warning in Luke 12. And he did not take heed and beware of hypocrisy, and it crept in. And there came a moment of truth where in public, in private, in that night before, in private, he had told Jesus, I will die for you. In public, he said, I don't even know him. Now, we may not have been so blatant, but if I'm a different person about Christ at church than I am out there, there's at least a level of hypocrisy in my life. Amen? So finally, the defense. He doesn't just give us a, a warning and then some definition without giving us a defense against it. If he says beware, Jesus doesn't say beware to scare us. He tells us to beware so we can build defenses against these things. And so then, verses 4 through 12, he gives the defense. Verse 4, he says, And I say unto you, my friends, so he's just warning them about what? Hypocrisy. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. These are not disjointed verses. Verse 4 is there because of verses 1 through 3. Verse 5, he says, But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Also I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men. I think in another text he says, me and my words. Okay, Whosoever shall confess me before men, um, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. So here in this text he's just giving both faces of hypocrisy. You're hiding things from men, the corruption in your life, or... You're hiding your identity with me before men. And in verse 9, But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. Verse 11 and 12. And when they bring you unto the synagogues and unto magistrates and powers. So here's what the crowds are going to do to you, the people. That, that can be fearful, right? He says, Take you no thought. Don't be anxious or fearful. Careful. How or what things you shall answer. What you shall say. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what you ought to say. His defense against hypocrisy is, number one, he exposes the source. What is the source of hypocrisy? According to verse 4, what, what would we say it is? Think with me here. There it is. Who said that? Jim, correct. The fear of man. Proverbs twenty nine twenty five. The fear of man bringeth a snare. Why do we often keep the word of God to ourselves? The fear of man. Why is this lesson so applicable during this time? You tell me what's running our world. The fear of man. The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Proverbs 29, 25. And so then he exposes the source of hypocrisy, which is the fear of man. He says, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more than they can do. He immediately goes to the ultimate fear. How many of us have had another man, some of you have, Literally, you knew your life was in danger from another human being. There's a handful of us in here. How many of you, you knew your life was in danger from another man because you were giving the gospel? I've had some moments where I wondered. 
had a couple moments in my ministry where I thought, I'm not sure if that guy showed up today to shoot me. Uh, I remember one time specifically. I'm just not sure. He's, he's a loose cannon, and I wasn't sure if that what he was here to do, honestly. And uh, that's the only time I can remember thinking, nah, I might, I might die today. I don't know. Uh, over the word of God, over truth. And he, that's not. It was not why he's here. Uh, my fears were unfounded. But the fact is, Jesus goes immediately to the extreme. The worst man can do to you is kill your body. He can finish your life on earth, but he has no power over your soul. So don't, he's not saying don't fear death. I mean, he is, but he's saying don't fear those who have the power to kill your body, but not your soul. You need to fear the ultimate power. Man can only do you physical harm. He cannot condemn your soul. But then he says, fear him which hath power, verse 4, verse 5. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. I was preaching a message recently in the jail on the fear of God. And one of the men says, well, I just don't think, you know, the fear of God, that's not even something we need to be talking about during this time of grace. It's, it's lovely when, when inmates become theologians. I, suffer me just a little. It's just, it's a, it's a little, like, are you serious? You know, but anyway, I, that, I don't want to get a wrong attitude, but you know that's not why they're in the situation they're in for their good theology. But it uh, kind of makes our point. Any of us could be there, couldn't we? even if your theology is perfect, through hypocrisy. My point would be this. This guy said he didn't believe the fear of God was a New Testament concept. I said, no, 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 no. It is throughout the Scripture. Our Lord and Savior taught while his feet were on planet Earth in body of flesh and bones, fear God. Meaning this, reverence and respect the one you're going to have to ultimately give an account to. Only one has the power to cast you into hell, and you better be paying attention to him. Don't you fear what man can do to you. You better fear what God can do to you. Yes? And fear him who has the power to do it. Listen closely. I believe firmly the average Christian today is far more sensitive to man than he is to God. Yeah, We're far more sensitive to what other people think about us, including other Christians, than what God thinks about us. And what creates salty Christianity, bright light Christianity, is when we get honed in on, I'm going to live for what God sees. Because you know what? When you're in the closet, God sees you. When you're in the dark, God sees you. And when you live for what God sees, you're the same in the closet as you are on the street corner. And we call that integrity. Integrity. The antonym of hypocrisy is integrity. Now, there is physical integrity, there is economic integrity, but there is spiritual integrity. There are people that have physical integrity, meaning in the physical world, they work with integrity and the different things. There are those who have um, financial integrity. They pay their bills on time. They don't pretend to do so and not. But spiritual integrity is I am in my walk with God when I appear to be. I think every one of us, we went through and said, who are the greatest influencers on your life, spiritually speaking? I would not tell you it's those with the greatest education. Some of them have had tremendous education. Every time it boils down to this, those who clearly are real. It, it, it comes out, they're just, they're real. And sometimes we don't get to see that. Sometimes we won't get to see to heaven. But the defense against hypocrisy is, number one, we must expose the source. The source of hypocrisy is the fear of man. But he also expounds upon the solution. The solution is the fear of God. The source is the fear of man. The solution is the fear of God. You've got to get your focus on what does God think about me? What does God think about this issue? What pleases him? 
We are to walk more and more unto his pleasing, not unto our own, not to our family, not to our culture, not to our employers. We are to live to please God. And so then the answer is fear God and have faith in God. Isn't that, isn't that deep? But that's really what he says. I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. A fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yeah, I say unto you, fear him. That's essentially what he says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. So fear God. Let me read very quickly because we need to conclude. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. The Bible says in verses 28 and 29. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Isn't it amazing? He uses grace and godly fear in the same verse. What does it take to serve God with reverence? Meaning I, re- I recognize and, and acknowledge and believe in his authority over my life. I believe I will ultimately give an answer to him, not them. Grace. When you receive grace from God, it does not negate the fear of God. It establishes it. Those today who say they love the grace of God, the glory and the grace of God, and they have no fear of God, are liars. I'm not going to stutter. I'm not going to say anything. Oh, no, those folks are liars. When you have the grace of God abounding in your heart, the fear of God is increased and established, not negated. For our God is a consuming fire. What dispensation of time was that written in? Dispensation of law or grace? Grace. It doesn't say God was a consuming fire. He said God is a consuming fire. You know, I'm going to tell you what. The lack of the fear of God creates hypocrisy. I remember coming to a point in my teenage years where I thought, you know what? And I, I think, you know, I'll tell you what brought me to this point is faithful preaching and teaching. You are either in or you're out. You are either submitted to Christ or you're not. And I thought, you know what? I can't play the game anymore. Because I was. I was playing a game. I was being a hypocrite. So I'm either, and I'm in it. I'm either going to conclude that the Bible is entirely false. What I believed about Christ is I, I believed a lie, and I'm going to throw my Bible in a garbage can and become an agnostic or an atheist. And that, that couldn't even stay in my head because that was not in my heart. Or I'm going to have to get serious about this thing. And there was no, at that point, it's like, well, then there's no option. I know the Bible's true. I know that. And I know Jesus Christ is who he says he is. And he's done for me what he said he did. So there's only one option. And that is get real. Get real. Confess my sins. Confess my sins with God and man. Depart from them. Turn my back on them. Let God change me. And start being honest and true about my love and trust in him with people. Now, I've had to grow a lot. and I'm still growing a lot. But there does come a point where God, I think, confronts us with our hypocrisy if it's there, he exposed the source, he expounds the solution. Fear God, have faith in God. What he goes right into is, you know what, you're about more valued than many sparrows. God not only, you're not only going to answer to him ultimately, but God loves you. He cares for you. And he's going to give you his Holy Spirit to guide you in the moments where man is terrifying you. Isn't that what he says in Luke 12? When they take you before the magistrates, the Holy Spirit of God will be right there with you, telling you exactly what to do. I find one thought in this day when I'm... Re- I wrestle with the fear of man every day of my life. It's not like I don't ever, oh, you get to the point, I don't fear man. Hogwash. I have fear of man every day. So how do you negate that? Ah, ah, but the Holy Spirit of God is with me. When you have the fear of man, what you have to say is, but God is greater. 
and he's with me, and I may not know everything to say, but he'll give me exactly what I need when I need it. And I'm going to tell you something. There is freedom in that. I'm not bound to make that man happy. I'm bound to love him. I'm bound to love that man. But I'm not bound to make him love me. Amen? This morning, ah, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, this morning, let's remind us of this one thing before we close. What was the purpose of Jesus saying all this? To throw his disciples under the bus and show them how horrid they were. No, what was his purpose? Instruction for protection and productivity. Same for us this morning. If the Spirit of God has exposed to hypocrisy in my life because of the fear of man, what should I do with it? I can't believe anybody would call me a hypocrite. Mm. Ooh. No, purge out the leaven. That's the only answer. It means confess it, forsake it, and let God change us. Amen? Be the people he wants us to be. Mm-hmm.